Welcome. I am here again with Lynn Buchanan. Lynn, welcome back. Thank you for inviting me. You have one of the most highly watched episodes. So oh, really? you're you're doing me the favor again, friend. So maybe it's because I'm so handsome, maybe. <laughs> you are maybe. definitely a handsome man. Maybe not. <laughs> so at the last episode that we recorded when we talked about 2040, you made a comment about this emergence of genius children. Yeah. And we didn't really talk too much about it, but I think in this episode, there's this tantalizing view or sentiment that there's going to be an emergence of not only these genius children, but potentially a new species of Homo sapiens. And it's also something that Stefan Schwartz, when I interviewed him about 2050, he also mentions, which is very congruent with what you were talking about. Can you talk a little bit more about this theory about why it's happening and, and how it might manifest itself? When I was first in the military service, I was at Fort Bliss in El Paso, and mm -hmm. I got called to the hospital one day. This civilian doctor had been given access to military health records. He had sold them on the idea that there was going to be a change in humans. And his idea was that evolution happens abruptly, not over a period of time. And that he had sold them on the idea that if there is a change, that they would need to know how to redesign uniforms, redesign Jeeps, and redesign weapons and all that. So he had this contract. He found that there were what he called indicators that a evolutionary change was about to happen. And there were like 20 or so indicators, and I had like 18 of them. Mm -hmm. And so he called me in, he did all kinds of tests and all that saying that, in his opinion, I was a precursor to an evolutionary change. Some of the indicators were negative blood type, negative Rh factor, extremely high IQ, altruism. I don't remember all of them. There was a whole bunch of them. And a tendency toward narcolepsy, things like that, or sleep aberrations. So anyway, he did all of his tests, and I got sent back to the unit, and I never thought anything else about it. Years and years and years later, about two or three years after I'd gotten out of service, and all of this remote viewing became public, I got invited to a salon, and I was asked to speak. So I said, okay prepared a speech and all that about remote viewing. And, wh and where was the salon? It was at a private home in New Jersey. Just a quick follow-up question. So during that roughly a period of time until I think it shuttered in 2007, Princeton had the Pear Lab. Was there any relationship between this and the Pear Lab or was it separate? No. no okay. It was and so I went to this salon and there were only four people there. The four speakers, no audience, no nothing. 
And I thought, well, this is strange. So each one of us gave her a little talk. The other three had nothing whatever to say in any, any relationship, whatever to remote viewing. I gave my talk in remote viewing. They were interested. That was it. I didn't even know why I was there. Mm -hmm. but that evening, this private home was out in a heavily wooded area. And the one who was a doctor had been studying medical history through the ages to see changes in medical symptoms and history and all that. He had come across the fact that the people of Petra had medical situations that were not like humans of the area of the time and, and all that. And he said, do you know who Mendel is? And Mendel was a monk who had studied the wrinkled peas and smooth peas and hybrids and all this, and noticed that every few generations, it would break back into separate plants that would grow smooth peas and separate plants that would grow wrinkled peas. And then over the next few generations, it would, you'd have hybrids and then it would break back out again. And that he had followed the medical situations of Petra and found that there were nodes of time all the way through history when those symptoms would crop up and be predominant and uh, then go away and all that. And so he had tracked these, and he had also been given access to the military records. And his findings were basically the same as the findings years and years before that from the other guy, but his were more complete and all this. And he said that of the, I think it was 23 or 24, I'm not sure how many, difference is that I had 21. And so he wanted to talk to me. He later showed me a readout of these problems as they crop up in history. And he said that after every time they crop up, there is a war to kill off people. There's a war or an epidemic or the Black Plague or a flu outbreak that just wipes out millions of people and things like this. And that according to what his computer predicted, right around 2005, somewhere around there, there would be a huge number of genius children being born, a huge number of negative RH factors and all this, that it would blossom. And that around 2020, the people who were born with these would be adults. And that around the year 2020, there would be some way that would start killing people off. And he said that he thought this was generated by the people of Petra who are bigots. They were very racist. They didn't 
intermingle with people. And yet they had people who were going out into the world around them to do business. And those people, of course, had children, you know, and so they were hybrids. And this thing of the hybrids has started these nodes happening. And that his concept, he had no proof of this, and he was adamant about that. He had no proof. Was that the bigots who never integrated with anybody else have survived from Petra through all of these years, and that these are the what we would call the Illuminati, the government behind all the world governments and all that. And that every time there is one of these breakouts of the of those people who were from Petra, that they cause something to kill off humans. And that the largest outbreak of the people who have the Petra medical situations would happen around the year 2015 to 2020. And so there would be some kind of a way to start killing off people. And it would be a plague, a war, something like that. So anyway, after that first time, I thought, well, this guy's crazy. I went back to my military unit, forgot all about it. After this second time, I've been paying attention. Now, before this second time, while it's still right out of service, I did a session. I was asked to do a session predicting the situation of the U.S. through the year 2020, 2040, 2060, and so on. And what I found was that beginning in the year 2020, there would be some situation that would cause us to separate from people, stay away from each other, isolate from each other, that cities would empty out and all this. By the way, I found out last year that Stephen Schwartz and his group had done something like that back in 1995, I think it was. Oh, he went... He did it, I think, continuously from 70, well, I think 68 was, it started in 68, and then he did it up until, I think, 1991. Every year he would refine it. Oh, okay. Like 4,000 people, and he would just, according to him, I don't know how rigorous it was, but he would just train people how to remote view. Yeah. And Uh just like normal everyday people and ask them what they saw. Yeah. And they Uh would come up with these themes, and then he would just correlate the most common themes that he saw. What I found was that starting about 2020, there would be a culling of people through, through various means, and that by the year 2040, about 75% of the human population would be wiped out. And that around 2040, 
there would be some kind of a revolution or something that would wipe out bad government, would wipe out all of the things that were killing off people, and that in the year 2040, everything would start becoming just ideal for the survivors. And that's what I found in my session. The things that I predicted once 2020 started, I saw them come into reality. I didn't know at the time that I did that session about Zoom, things like this, but I had predicted that vast communications, most communications, in fact, would be electronic, technical, and all that, not in person. And that cities would empty out, schools would empty out, people would isolate from each other, and so on. So anyway, that's what I found out. So there's actually two things. One's actually very intriguing. You'll recognize it when I tell you immediately. So the first thing is, in his remote viewing, he saw something happening between 2040 and 2046, which had okay. this which had this effect or, or was some sort of a culmination. And then from 2050 and beyond, people saw themselves as over this hump after the crisis, yeah. kind of like uh, you did. Yeah. The other thing that he saw was a energy system. Everybody had like a box. And you know, yes. And when it reminds, you know exactly where I'm going with this, right? It reminded me, yeah, it reminded me of the Let's Scallion or Let's Scallion. Yeah. Yeah. And I I was asking about sorts of questions. They just had some successful tests with fusion at Livermore. He's like, I don't think it's that. And the more I've thought about some of this stuff, are you familiar with what phonons are? Not photons, but phonons. I know I've read it, but I don't remember it. Yeah. Uh. So just like a photon is a unit of light frequency, right? It's both a particle and a wave. A phonon is a unit of vibration. So it's like sound. Like speech, yeah. Yeah, but it's at at the quantum scale. It's like either atomic or subatomic unit of vibration. And at the subatomic level, at the quantum scale, it has negative gravity and negative mass. And I think this is something that's come out. I interviewed a NASA scientist and he wasn't aware of it. I think it's something that that's come out in the last five years or so. But again, I'm, this is pure speculation, but it feels like it's some sort of device that maybe makes use of vibrational frequencies and, and, and things like that. But he said it was just a box. He couldn't really see how it worked. There were different size boxes, and everybody had one to provide electricity and power to that forward-looking civilization. So, And there are those who won't need the box, too, yeah. When you say that there are those who won't need it, what do you mean? They'll have the ability without the box, yeah. So you've, you saw that in part in some of your remote viewing, or...? No, I've seen it in real life. There, yeah, 
Say more. That's that's it's fascinating. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> okay, I got you. Okay, so going back to this group in Petra. Yeah. You never said whether or not they were human. His theory was that they were not human. The people of Petra just appeared out of nowhere. They weren't related to anybody genetically or anything like that. They just appeared. And their language just cropped up and appeared and all that. So there's been all kinds of speculation about the people of Petra, where they came from and all that. I don't think there's any historical record of it. I'm not sure. But that's all I know was that his idea was that they were not human. And he mentioned that back when they were alive and Petra was a thriving city, that the local name for those people was the Nephilim. It was very similar to Nephilim. Nephilim, yeah, uh-huh. You're the former pastor. Yeah. You can explain it better than I can, but can you explain what the Nephilim it were? Says the going theory, and this is, I forget the author's name, was the children, those who fell from the sky and had children. That it was not those who fell from the sky, but it was the children, those who fell from the sky and mingled with humans. And that's what I think the Bible says. You know. Yeah, I think the Bible says that they're the offspring of either angels or yeah. demons or fallen angels. Or, or Again, I'm not a biblical scholar. Not the like angel, they're not the angels. They're the offspring of angels that have made it with humans. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And then again, I, I could probably solve this with a quick internet search. Is any, I mean, Petra is just ruins now. There's nobody. Yeah. Are there people still living there? Petra is an amazing place if you've ever studied it. It is in many ways so far advanced beyond anything of the time period. In the middle of the desert, they find a way to have running water and sewage and toilets and and things like this you know they even had a swimming pool out there you know a big pool and yeah it's an amazing place so where are these supposed people now just kind of hidden somewhere or yeah all around yeah Uh okay interesting Evidently, if you want to find them, look for negative blood type, tendency towards sleep aberrations, high IQ, things like that. You know. Now, do they know who they are, or are they? I would imagine not. The only reason I found out about this is from these two researchers who cornered me. You know, otherwise, I wouldn't know about it. Yeah. How many of these people do you think there are? From what the second researcher told me, we're right in the middle of a large bloom of these people. Just a large node of these people who are high IQ, 
tend to be altruistic, tend towards sleep aberrations. There are physical differences as well. I don't remember what they all are. I mean, this, this guy got me since 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. For, if you were to do like an ancestry.com on where your family's from, where does it trace back to? If I'm, if I'm asking too deep, I, you know, I just, you could stop me, but. It doesn't really trace anywhere I was adopted. Yeah. Interesting. And you remember about your genetic parents at all? My mother, yes. My father was extremely high IQ. I found him. Uh, total isolationist. He didn't want anything to do with anybody. What do you call those? Mm-hmm. Recluse. And, yeah. and so on. And that's another trait, by the way. Yeah, um, that, that 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 comes a little too close to home. <laughs> it's a little too close. <laughs> I would isolate if I could. But I've made contact with him, and he never answered. And last I heard, he passed away several years ago, a couple about a decade ago. And so I never met him. And you don't know where his family was from, or your mother's family? No, I don't. Uh-uh. Interesting. Have you ever done a 23andMe? No, and I won't. And why is that? I I, you, I think you told me in the past that you don't have to talk about it. I don't think we posted this last time. Uh, but. There is a wedge on the pie chart, you know, Germanic, African, and, and all this. There's a wedge called other, which means unknown unidentifiable and there are from what i found out there are government people who are looking into that wedge and so i won't take it no and what would the company say if you asked what was in that wedge what would they say what company 23 and me if you if you actually asked people who work there oh uh, i have no idea i'm not dealing with them I don't want to have anything to do with them. I'm not taking that test. (laughs) What do you think would happen if you took it? I think I would probably wind up Scotch-Irish with a very big wedge of other. Did the Scots-Irish have anything to do with it? I don't think so. As far as I can tell, I've always said that I don't know if reincarnation is real or not but from my own feelings i know that anyone ever born to an irishman is a wee bit irish forever <laughs> no no i i, you know, I know what I, you mean brother i know what you mean I go to ireland and it feels like man i'm home just like yeah. that yeah yeah i i've only been there once and it, it definitely feels that way. I feel the same way in the mountains, too. I don't know yeah. why. There's something about the mountains. And I didn't grow up anywhere near any mountains. Oh, Judd, song, you know. Take me home. Home to a place I've never been before, up in the mountains. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Take, yeah take, take me home to a place where I belong. Yeah. But it's about West yeah. Virginia, too. There must be something to it. Because, again, it's... No experience in the mountains, but I feel like I always have to, I always have to yeah. go there whenever I can. Yeah. And I mean, you're yeah. in, you're in New Mexico, so you're probably near some mountains. Yeah, 
Right outside the window, yeah. <laughs> so why do you think these events happen during these explosions of genius children? Uh, evidently, it's just a trait of genetic, the way genetics work. Uh, oh, no, that, that, not that, but why are there these mass die-offs associated with? I don't know. The researcher that was talking to me, his idea was that those bigoted people who never intermingled with humans have come down through history as the government behind all governments that's regulating the real shadow government and all that, and that they are still the pure bloods that have never intermingled with humans, and that every time there's a large outbreak of pure bloods, they try to kill off the humans so that their race will wind up being the only one left in the world. So and, sort of their way of taking over the planet. Yeah. And they just do it in stages or they Yeah. Uh-huh. Or they just make a new attempt every several generations. No, they tend to make an attempt whenever there's one of these large nodes coming out. Yeah. That was his idea. I can't find anything wrong with his idea, but he admitted that he has no proof and it's a theory, just to it's be a clear theory. to the audience. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a theory. Yeah. But it's a theory that has a lot of coincidental fact, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, if, if you look at what's been happening over the last three years. Oh, yeah. Again, I don't want to engage in too many conspiracy theories, but uh, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you use Occam's razor, right, there is a strong argument that... I'm going to have to speak in coded language because I want people to be able to watch this video. There is a hypothesis that a company called EcoHealth was funded to do gain-of-function research in a Wuhan lab. Presumably, yeah, so so the the Wuhan Institute of Virology is the only level four containment facility in China. Okay. At at that institute, they do novel coronavirus research. Yeah. It is a block from the wet market.
where presumably a bat bit a penguin that was eaten by a human. That was the first hypothesis that came out. Oh, okay. Occam's razor says that there's a lab that does research on this particular strain and it broke out because of, right. That seems a comment. There is an alternative theory that just came out that now that is, that is saying that the virus came from a raccoon dog. Yeah. So I'm not endorsing any one of these theories. However, given the, reluctance of certain officials to explore the lab leak hypothesis and given documents leaked from the Pentagon, apparently the NIH was responsible for funding EcoHealth. The gain of function research was first presented to DARPA. DARPA said, hell no, that's gain of function research. It's illegal. Yeah. So I don't know the answer. I just know that the simplest explanation is the one that makes the most sense and and would explain why there was such a hesitancy for the U.S. government to even – I mean, if in the first few days after the outbreak, you were racist if you even suggested that it came from. Yeah. So to me, that feels like people were trying to hide the origin. Right, because we're responsible and the Chinese are responsible. It's when, not good. When all this first came out, everything inside of me said, This is a put up job. You know, this is not natural. And usually the simplest explanation is the government explanation. And that's the one I tend not to believe. <laughs> right. Out here in the desert. The UFOs we see flying over, we're in the desert. It is not swamp gas. Right, there's no swamps. There's it's no swamps. swamps. Yeah. <laughs> well, but then again, like there are alternative explanations that you can't always rule out. Like we, I think we before this call, we talked about Project Bluebeam, right? There was a Harvard professor that had alluded to working on this program where you use directed energy and you triangulate and you can create all sorts of holograms, let's say, in the sky. And it has very good practical usage if you want to get country's entire air force into the sky so that you can attack them from an opposite direction, right? You just show up. Help, I've been abducted by a hologram. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I think there are instances of true abductions. I think there are instances of military abductions to hide certain weapons programs. And there may be some exotic technologies that are out there. Yeah, I don't know how long this stuff existed, right? But there's some of this stuff that could be out there as well. If you're trying to hide a weapons program or confuse people or discredit people, you could use that sort of thing. So disinformation is a military weapon. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You're familiar with Richard Doty, right? Uh, vaguely. So he was a member of the Air Air Force Office of Special Investigations. And in an interview with Stephen Greer, Stephen Greer was interviewing him. Mm -hmm. And 
there's a gentleman, his name was Paul Benowitz, who was seeing all these UFOs and, and things over Kirkland Air Force Base, which had, can't remember the name of the nuclear complex, but there were a ton of nuclear weapons there. And he had identified some covert operations, either both by the Air Force and the National Security Agency. Mm-hmm. But Richard Doty subtly nudged him into the UFO direction. Now, some of the stuff that Paul Benowitz did see was not from the Air Force, it was the orbs and things like that. Yeah. And Richard Doty apparently had seen some of these things. So in this field, it is very hard to firmly conclude anything because they're going to get you one time or another. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> in fact, if especially if you've seen something that's real, they're going to get you to, to try to make it look like you're crazy. So, or, or convince you that, you know, that you didn't was, see it. Yeah. 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 So or that you did see it, but it, there's a different explanation for it. Yeah. yeah you saw it, but you're just crazy. So, you know, you, you hallucinated it. You, yeah. Pfizer's also working on, I think they're calling it directed evolution as opposed to gain of function research, but they're looking at various viruses and designing things to be available in case something else. Yeah, breaks it up. yeah, but you combine that with what's or going to on in, to, to cause something else to happen. Yeah, yeah, I don't, but I don't think deliberately. Do you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> say, say say more without saying too much about the c word. The <laughs> well, you know what eugenics are. You know. Yeah. Eugenics are usually considered to be calling out the bad people and letting only the good ones survive so that natural things take. But if you could do that on purpose faster than that, there are people who would do that. Yeah. Which is which is terrifying, right? And so when it comes to eugenics causing things to happen. I don't know if it's happening, but I wouldn't be surprised. I imagine somebody's trying it. Yeah. But what would be the aim? Because right now the global population is actually I wouldn't say declining, right? I think it's still growing, but there's certain places like China reached its peak population in February because they, they just didn't have enough children. The illegal immigration that we're having in Mexico might actually save us because there's a huge graying of America as well. And there's not enough people to support the aging population here, but it's exceptionally bad in yeah. China and Japan. I think Japan has about 125 million, 124 million people right now. And by the end of the century, the latest projection I saw was they would have 53 million people so in a situation like that why would you want to wipe out certain genetic profiles when you're going to need more people if you wanted to wipe out the tendency toward crime the tendency toward mental incapabilities Mm -hmm. the tendency toward illness and all that 
Yeah, there are a lot of people who would be in favor of that. Yeah. If you could make it so that the human population was healthier, smarter, nicer. There are a lot of people who would gladly have eugenics take place. Yeah. Do you think it's just people or do you think there's some other force behind that? I don't know. I'm not sure. Interesting. And then, of course, you have Russia, Ukraine, the Nord Stream pipeline. Actually, you watch Russian television, right? What are they saying about that? They're not saying much. The TV stations that I watch, they kind of stay away from any commentary like that about the government or anything. The attitude that I keep getting from the shows that I do watch, I watch the sitcoms and all that, you know, just to keep my Russian ability up. But the general feeling of the populace is that this whole war with Ukraine is despicable to them. They don't want it. That it's the government that wants it. And they're not going to speak out against the government, you know? Yeah, it it definitely feels very ham-fisted, the way it started. And I think Putin thought he could do the same thing we did in Iraq, where we just get straight to Baghdad and overthrow the government, and then we're done. Yeah. And while we overthrew the government in Baghdad, we weren't done. Whereas I think Putin didn't even succeed at overthrowing the government in Kiev. And then he's certainly not done. Yeah, the whole thing can't end well. The fact that we're heavily subsidizing the Ukrainians to kill Russian soldiers, that's not going to go unanswered. So So from your remote viewing out to 2040, what sort of things do you see from this point that might happen? What I got in that session was that the people would be so fed up with bad government, with crooked government, with controlled lives, regulations on every single aspect of life and all that, that they just rebelled. And not that they rebelled violently, right? but they just quit taking part in it. Like power of New Mexico, their rates now are about six times what they were three years ago. Three years ago, in the winter, we were spending like $160 to heat the house, $750 a month this year. So I cut off all the gas appliances. I've been living in a cold house and that cut my bill down to $200. And what I would like to see is everybody in New Mexico that's having to cut off their gas and live cold, don't pay their bill. All of a sudden that loss of money the price would come back down. Boycott. You know? Yeah. 
a boycott is a definitely effective weapon against things like this. You know, you don't have to raise up and go shoot people. And no, hurt. no. I, by the way, we don't. We do, we do not encourage no. or recommend no, that no. at all. No, that's, at all. That's right. stupid. No. Uh-huh. Right. Even with social media, the fact that you had federal agencies telling a private company to silence people, I, I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. I'm starting to feel it, too. Like you, I mean, you said with the, the Army was 25,000 soldiers short recruiting last year. And I think the Secretary of the Army posted something on Twitter about getting people to join or something yeah. like that. And there were army veterans who were like, I'm glad I served, but there's no way I am volunteering my children to serve for these corrupt SOBs, this and that. And there's a huge, like all these people piling on. I am absolutely one of those. I am absolutely one of those. I would never suggest, well, if a kid was just, absolutely in total need of structure in his life and not right. getting it from his family or just running loose in the streets, I might suggest going into a military situation. But yeah, as a career choice, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I am in full support of the institution, but the civilians that are running things right now, this is not politi- political in the sense that it's one party or another. I just think yeah. both sides, they're corrupt. So you saw kind of a passive resistance, I guess, would be the best way to... Passive resistance that worked. It's just that the survivors who were left just weren't going to put up with it anymore. And mm-hmm. they didn't rebel against it violently. They just said, we're not taking part in that anymore. I mean, right now in the U.S., if you know the laws in and out, okay, you don't have to buy a driver's license. You don't have to buy plates for your car. You don't have to pay taxes, any of that. But you better know what you're doing. Yeah. But well, fact- it's it's that Cardinal Richelieu quote, right? You find me the man, I'll find you the crime. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Our legal system today is just the person with the most power and money is going to win whatever legal dispute you have. I hadn't really wanted to put this out, but I'm not getting anywhere on the book. I'm trying to get a book written called The Mafiocracy. The principles and protocols that the mafia used to become successful are basically what the governments are using now. They've just legalized the mafia. You don't pay your taxes. Oh, yeah, they're going to come and ruin you. You know, and the money laundering that's going on in the government. Fantastic. We don't live in a democracy. We live in a mafiocracy because the rules of the mafia and the principles of the mafia that made it successful are now being used in the government. Yeah. I almost think that, and I thought about this for a while, it's almost as if the advent of the internet 
exposed. Let me let me step back. I don't think this is something that just happened or emerged in the last ten years. Oh, no, I think it's been around since at least the assassination of Kennedy and probably before then. I just yeah. think that the emergence of the internet exposed it, and right now they're doing the the elite, whatever you want to call them, are doing everything they can to try to shut down the hatches as people share information about the way things are conducted. But yeah, I don't know how you fix it other than to keep your head down and stay off the radar. Yeah. We bought this home. It has its own well. We've solarized it. And at any minute, we could flip a switch and go off the grid and be totally self-sufficient. And that wouldn't keep us safe from people coming in or whatever. But yeah, if the grid ever goes down, hey, we're prepared. And I'm not a prepper by any means, you know, to dig holes in the ground to live in and all that. But yeah, you prepare. Because, I mean, you go to the store. I was in the store today, and I said to the person who was putting up new product on the shelf, I said, I don't know if it's a computer or if there's a person who's keeping track of everything I want so they'll know what not to have. <laughs> you know, Because everything that I go shopping for is the shelf empty. Well, that's the thing, though. I mean, as you and I both know, they're not that smart. Yeah. Right? It's just the blind application of power. I mean, there's there's a fantastic example that I'll share with you after we get offline, but I'll explain the principle for the audience. What happens is there's typically a policy will be proposed or a practice will be proposed that generally has good intentions. Yeah. But... When you implement it at scale, the average human or the below average human just implements it like a blind heuristic where they just. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what ends up happening is you get a horrible outcome. And it just it still doesn't go away and it's completely irrational. And yet people just like they're like stamping, you know, yeah. it's constantly stamping. Yeah. I'll give you a great example afterwards, but it's too hot politically for me to even talk about. So, okay. So people get kind of have this passive resistance. Is that pre 2040 or is that post 2040? That's just a principle. Actually, when I was at the fuel station in Masawa, Japan, it was five miles out from the housing area to the field station where we worked. And they had a little one-room cafeteria in there. And coffee was 25 cents a cup. And so they raised it to 50 cents. Everybody grumbled. They raised it to 75 cents. People started bringing their own coffee pots to work. And they raised it to a dollar because, hey, nobody's buying coffee anymore. We have to make the money, you know. They raised it. And so in unison, everybody quit buying coffee. Mm-hmm. And if they couldn't make their own, they didn't drink it at work. And the cafeteria there said, 
we'll just go out of business if you can't buy the coffee. And everybody said, fine, go out of business. Yeah. All of a sudden, the coffee was 50 cents a cup. And everybody in unison said, not good enough. From then on, it was 25 cents a cup. And as far as I know, it still is. And they probably sell fewer cups because some people just substituted what they had forever. Yeah. Anything else that you saw? So Stefan Schwartz saw a lot of things related to climate change. He saw three mass migrations. The first was from the coasts. The second was related to extreme temperatures in the central U.S. Can't remember what the third was, but essentially the population was migrating yeah. toward these these areas of safety. So some in the Pacific yeah, Northwest. These mountains. Days, even, even the naysayers are admitting, yeah, there's climate change. Yeah. yeah. So there's a book by Whitley Strieber called The master of the key or the key where there's talk of this superstorm where as the climate heats up the ice caps the water there heats up to an extent that it stops the currents that are necessary for dispersing the cold from the yep. north it gets bottled up and then you have like this superstorm happens all at once where the northern latitudes just freeze. And at least in that book, in that theory is that that kills a lot of people in the northern latitudes. So I don't know if that's what you saw or it's different than what Stefan Schwartz saw. Yeah. To some extent. I just noted in that session that I did that there were drastic climate changes. Much of the kill-off was done not by weapons or, you know, hard government and all that, but it was done by man-made natural disasters. Right now, we have weather weapons. Russia has earthquake weapons and so on. And it's getting to the point where we don't need guns and tanks and rockets and all that. We can cause the earth to kill masses of people. I hope it doesn't come to that, but it probably will at some point. Yeah, I don't have a lot of confidence from what I've seen current crop and government politicians that we have. I have confidence in what they call, what a cynical person would call the deep state or whatever other moniker you have for a permanent government. On the defense and intelligence side, I'm actually thankful that we have one of those. Otherwise, it would be hopeless. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So not a common thing you hear people say. Yeah. The motto of the Defense Intelligence Agency, right? No, what is it? Knowledge is power. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And if you don't know what's going on, you're toast. (laughs) Now, how do non-human entities play into all this? Stuff, whether they're ETs, cross the met, whatever. I don't I don't want to really don't assume. I really don't know. I have seen evidence that there is ET involvement in 
human affairs and that there are humans involved in the ET affairs, sort of like an exchange. But I don't have any details. I don't know what it is. You know, I've just what, what could, the evidence of it. What possibly could a hairless ape have to contribute to an advanced ET civilization? Many things. One of the things that I found on one of the ET races is that how we found out that you can move things by exploding things, blowing something up. Okay. Right. And they found out that you can move things with magnets. And so they have taken magnetism and developed it in the way we have taken gasoline and, and all that and developed it into cars, planes, jets. And they have taken magnetism and developed it in airline. So as a result, we think they're so advanced over us. Come to find out, they think that we're so advanced over them <laughs> because we know stuff that they don't. And really, uh, is that why yeah. they're so interested in nukes? It could be. Yeah, I don't know. Some of those cultures are so old that their creativity is gone. And one of the people involved with the transfer of technology, technology. technology transfer, told me that one of the things that we're trading the ETs now is the stuff they've given us. They've given us stuff. We've developed it, gotten creative with it. Now that we're giving it back to them so that we can get more. We're just giving them their own stuff back. <laughs> How many people on the planet do you think are aware of the presence, like read in? Oh, I, I have no idea. And do you think it's just the U.S. or is it other foreign governments with similar programs? I think foreign governments too. Yeah, I think all the governments. I've never read into any of this, but because of a line of work that I had in the government, I kept bumping into this all the time and finding indicators, but I've never read into it. Either. And do you, do you sense it's still going on or was it a short term? Oh, no, it's, I'm, I'm sure it's still going on, yeah. Wouldn't humanity benefit by having more scientists involved in working on these programs? Why hasn't it been disclosed to a broader population? Well, humanity might benefit from it, but would governments benefit from it? Yeah, no. Okay, there's your answer. Not whether it's good for humans or not, it's what, what's good for General Wilmers is good for the USA, right? <laughs> I'm almost of the mind that if some advanced civilization showed up, I think many humans would go with them or immediately work with them because they have no confidence in our own well, leaders. Well, the uh, ranch that I bought and I'm trying to build is for research. And one of the things that we're doing, we have found in the remote viewing that with a high degree of accuracy, we can look at a society and make a demographic of that society that's actually, what's their religious bent? What's their educational bent? What's their IQ? What's their social 
events and all this, make a demographic of it. And we do this by targeting our viewers with known populations in the U.S., known populations everywhere else, and overlaying the two demographics together to see where the cooperation and the conflict is going to be. When the Mormons move to Canada, there are detailed records that tell where the conflicts and all that. We have our viewers working blind do the demographic of the Mormons, do the demographic on the Canadians at the time, overlay the two charts, and guess what? We can see on that overlay exactly where the problems are going to be, where the cooperations are going to be, and all that. Well, when you get a viewer trained to do that, you can have them, instead of, they're working blind, you can have them do an ET population, get a demographic of that, so that we know when we go there how not to do something stupid that's going to cause an interplanetary war. And we know that when they come here, we know where they're going to want to settle. Are they going to want to settle in the deep south? Are they going to want to settle in New York City? We can predict very accurately where the conflict is going to be, where the cooperation is going to be, and all that, for the different countries, for the different ETs in the different countries, different parts of the country, and all that. For a realtor, okay, if the ETs come here, they live among us, where are they going to want to live? If a realtor can predict that, that realtor can get rich. <laughs> <laughs> if business people can do that, if government I mean, can do that. Is that even a possibility of ever happening, or wouldn't that be so disruptive? If you have a gray. If it's going to happen, you know, if the ETs are going to infiltrate, become open in our society, if that happens, we as remote viewers can predict. How many races have you looked at? from the ET perspective? Three so far. Of course, on those, we have no feedback. Right. Okay. But the thing is, doing the practice sessions on Earth societies and all that, what happens when the Hondurans come into the U.S. and so on? What happens when the Turks go into France and England? We can predict exactly what's going to happen and where the conflict, where the cooperation and all that's going to be. So once we get a viewer trained in doing that and they get a track record, they have a dependability rating. So then we can give them an ET population and from their track record, we will have a dependability rating to judge the results. Which three ET? Types have you looked at? There's one from around a star that's 6.9 years, years. years away, and two other groups that we think are already here. What, what do the three look like? 
the one on the planet that's around that star are sort of ape-like, but they're not simian. Very hairy, not high IQ at all. And that mm. they are sort of taken care of by another race that comes in, employs them to get raw materials, and as a result, takes care of them and all that. Are these like the Kecksburg aliens, like the, the ones that looked kind of like uh, Bigfoot or so that were observed in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania in 1967? Yeah, I, haven't heard of, I haven't heard about that, but yeah, I, that was the look like. Like a Bigfoot, very yeah. tall or yeah, like seven but, feet? Uh, but not smart, you know. Hmm. But they are basically taken care of by somebody from off planet that comes in, uses them to get raw materials, and in the process gives them homes, teaches them how, how to have a society and all that. So that's what we found about, about that group. And, and what's the, the group that takes them? Uh, we found that they are spacefaring. One of the things we found was that the group that's there, that's not very smart, can actually, when they're being viewed, the race that comes in to take care of them, they can't tell when they're being viewed. But they're very intelligent and very, very advanced and all that. So that's what we found. We what does that species look like? Very skinny, very thin, small sort of wiry, sort of what you'd see as a sci-fi alien. Like a gray? Spindly, yeah, sort of like a gray, I guess you could say. Like big bulbous head? But not a gray, no, not a gray. But Okay. Not anything I've ever heard of being talked about by E.T. people. Yeah. And then the other two races that are already here? Pat Price found... Four places. The four bases. Yeah. And uh, we have found those and we've done work on those. Yeah. And so, not officially. We were never tasked to do it officially. Right. These were, these were training missions. Training missions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, one of those species was, was the grays or looked like that, right? More or less. Yeah. And then the other was it Nordics or was it something else? It was something else. I guess the closest you would say would be Nordics, yeah. And, so human-like. Uh, human-like. And there in Mount Zeal, that there were humans. Australia. For them, yeah. Okay. And, and these, that the humans didn't seem to be humans from Earth. Okay. And if you were talking to a real estate agent... Where, where do the gray alien types, where would they best like I don't to think live? They want, I don't think they really want to be here. So I don't think they will wind up actually filtering into our society. I just don't get that feeling. And why is that? They're just too intelligent? They're, it's not the right environment? I think they don't like us. 
Really? Yeah, they're frugivores. Yeah. Well, these are like the thin-necked grays, and yeah, and from these remote viewing sessions. And again, you can't, you, you have no feedback. Sessions, yeah. So again, I just want to make it clear for the group. These are we were found in remote viewing sessions, so it doesn't mean it's one hundred percent true. We're too bossy. We're too greedy. We're too violent. They just don't want to be around us. Yeah. Interesting. And then, what about the human-like race? Oh, our humans. We're not nice people. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean the. What's that? What I had looked into that. When the ancients, the Anunnaki, Anunnaki, yeah, the Anunnaki were using humans as slaves, according to the story. Okay, right, right. When they left the earth, they took humans with them. <laughs> hey, slave labor, yeah, keep them. And those humans have grown up generation after generation after generation in a different non-Earth environment. And so they are genetically altered from us. They have evolved slightly differently than we have. And now and then, when some of them come back to work for the ETs, you know, like at Mount Zeal and all that, some of them escape. And those... So you're saying they're still slaves? Yeah, there's still slaves there, but when they escape, they don't want government, they don't want power, they don't want money, they just want freedom. That's all they want. They want to be left alone. And they're still human enough, they can blend in with the humans. And there seems to be sort of like an underground railroad that is taking care of these escapees that are filtering them into society. And this is one of the reasons why people are looking into that wedge that's called other on the one, two, three thing. So when Robert Bigelow says that they're living among us, he's talking about some of these folks, potentially. Probably some of these, yeah. I think he may be talking about the ETs living among us, but yeah. But, you know, these people... Just want to live out their life being free. That's all they want. They don't want government. They don't want power. They don't want anything else. They don't want to hurt anybody. They just want to be free. That's it. Has anyone ever met some of these people? Is any arm of the government aware of them in terms of direct I think, contact? Or? I think the government may be aware of them. I don't know. I have no idea. I know that I was approached by two people one day in a parking lot who were asking me who's looking at that wedge. And when I asked why, they explained why. They were two escapees, they said. And so, you know, I sort of looked into it after that and found that that seems to be the case, that there are a very small number of people, humans, who have grown up in a different planetary atmosphere who have come back here as slaves and have escaped. And now then all they want to do is just quietly live out their life 
not attract any attention. They just want to be left alone. You know, these people, what did they look like? Did they look like they were homeless? But when you started talking to them, they were definitely not homeless. No, they weren't homeless. And evidently, like I say, they have sort of an underground railroad. Somebody escapes, they get them to safety and take care of them. As far as I could find out from talking to them. But, you know, it may have been two kooks that cornered mm-hmm. me at a parking lot. I don't know. Or it could be, it could have been two government employees trying to Maybe. right trying to show some disinformation. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's no because there's no way for you to independently verify it's just you're relating the story, right? But they were very interested in who in the government is looking at that wedge that says other or unknown. Yeah. Do you, without answering the question, do you know who is? There is a very, very old investigative reporter that I asked her, and she said, yeah, she listed off the names just like that. She knows. Okay. I can probably surmise who that investigative reporter is, but I'm not going to say. I have a good memory. You mentioned her in the distant past about something else, so I got it. She knew immediately who it was. Any other strangeness? Around this topic, oh, that strangeness, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the problem. It's it's very difficult to filter what's real, what's not. It's very difficult, yeah. Uh-huh. And I think it's intentional, but this is one of the reasons why, as a remote viewer and a remote viewer trainer, I depend so heavily on a database. You can be right once. That's great. And I train you to be right every time, to be accurate. And yes, I can train that, but it's got to show up in the database. Because if I just say, oh, he's right all these times, but I don't count the times when he was wrong, then that's not a valid argument. Yeah, part of it is assigning multiple people to the problem, too, and looking at that's right. commonalities yeah. and yeah. and then also looking at their accuracy ratings and that's right making sure that they're one of the reasons on the demographic thing we train people to where they have a high accuracy before we would ever give them an et race to to view who was interested in that information is that just a a project that you did because it's interesting or did it have a client we have one client I was interested, and that got me interested in it. And so I've carried on that thing since okay. then. But it's confidential, and you can't. Right. Yeah, I sign non- yeah. non-disclosure agreements all the time. Yeah. All right, my friend, I, I could keep this going for another three hours, but I, I got to be respectful to your time. And, and the fact that you agreed to do this last minute was... No problem, yeah. Super, super interesting. But thank you again, my friend. Thank Talk you. to you soon. Okay, we'll see you then. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new.